Tonight, I'm talking about loving the outcast. And I'm going to begin with a story from the New Testament, the part of a Christmas story in the New Testament. According to the Christian narrative, when, when Jesus was born, that was God being born on earth. It was a, a, a unique historical event, and so appropriately there was an angelic announcement. But what fascinates me is who got the angelic announcement. The angelic announcement did not go to Caesar Augustus, who at that time was emperor of the entire Western world. It did not go to any political or military elite. It did not go to any scholar or intellectual. It didn't go to the religious authorities in Jerusalem, the, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the, the people who considered themselves experts on the Bible. None of these people got the announcement. The announcement went to shepherds. And shepherds in those days were really toward the bottom of the social scale. They really were social outcasts in a way. They were considered not much better than the animals they took care of. Um, and according to the story, it, the angels came and talked to the shepherds and said, Behold, this day is born for you in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. They were given the message that a Savior was born to them. And so that's, that's fascinating when you think about it, such God's love and God's attention going to social outcasts in some way. And in, in a way, it's, it's a, an event that finds resonance throughout the message of Jesus in the New Testament. He's, he's going around all the time reaching out to outcasts, to to lepers, tax collectors, prostitutes, zealots, you know, all these people who are at the fringes of society, and he's bringing them in, some of them become his apostles, he's dining and feasting with them. In fact, the religious authorities often can condemn him, like, why, why are you spending time going to feast with those people, you know? And I'll, I'll pull back a little bit from Christianity and say that it's really part of a larger pattern concerning the winter solstice. Both Hanukkah and Christmas are winter solstice holidays. And the, the much older holiday of the winter solstice, the archetype associated with that, you might, we might call it the birth of light at the heart of darkness. And this archetype was, as it were, reformulated or repackaged in the newer religions Judaism and Christianity and the, you know, the oil not running out in Hanukkah, the, the birth of Jesus in, in a dark period in history, this sort of thing. And so part of loving the outcast is, has to do with this archetype, the birth of light at the heart of darkness. What does that mean Practically. Well, if you think of the landscape of your life and you think of the places that your, your sense of love and connection flows, that's a kind of, you might say metaphorically, that's a kind of light. And of course, it, it's shining with intensity on the, on the people you care about and are close to, perhaps to a lesser extent, intensity, it's shining on 
acquaintances, maybe even strangers, you know, maybe even people that you've never met, you have some sense of compassion for them, you know. But then there are the people that are, as it were, outcast from our love and belonging, you know. Maybe we call them enemies or we say we hate them, you know, or maybe it's just, you know, people that that I regularly avoid, you know, I'd rather never see that person again, you know, this sort of thing. These people, you might say, are in the shadow of our love, shadow of our love and belonging. And the birth of light at the heart of darkness is about bringing love into that region of shadow. You know, one way to say that is the very Christian formulation of love your enemies. Um, You know, a very, probably the, the single most challenging teaching and the single most important teaching in the entire Christian tradition. I'm going to read a brief passage from the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus said, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be children of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love only those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you salute only your brethren, What more are you doing than others? Do not even Gentiles do the same? This this whole idea that, you know, we we don't really get spiritual points for being nice to the people who are nice to us. You know, like, that's easy, you know. That spirituality really begins with how well are we treating the people who trigger us, the people who offend us, the people who we want nothing to do with, you know, this sort of thing. And similarly... Buddhism talks about, you know, has this lovely idea of universal compassion. You know, in other words, our love and belonging should have no shadow, you know. And love and, you know, universal compassion is, 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 you know, an extraordinarily lovely idea until, you know, where the rubber meets the road, of course, of the people, again, the people who trigger us, the people that we'd rather not be compassionate and open-hearted to, you know. I'll say that I find part of the genius of 12-step programs, I've never been through a 12-step program myself, but friends of mine have been, and I've, I've certainly studied the steps. Um, part of what fascinates me is that at certain steps, you're, you're looking at past rifts or past you know, breaks in relationships, and you're figuring out you know, what was my part in this. And then you're actually making amends and actually, in, in some cases, even contacting the people to make amends, you know. And there's something very powerful in that, you know. And so I think it's an important question for all of us, for all the people. And, you know, we know who those people are. The people who are, you know, we don't have the best opinion of them. We'd rather not see them again, you know. We'd rather avoid them, you know. And, you know, in some cases, it, it, you know, for purposes of safety, maybe it's a very good idea that we're, you know, we're out of contact with them, that sort of thing. But what energy do we ha- hold in our heart toward them? Can we, can we bring 
a sense of compassion, a sense of forgiveness, a sense of acceptance to who these people are. You know, it's very tricky because we really don't forgive others for them. We forgive for ourselves. We forgive so that we're not carrying that anymore, you know. So loving the enemy or loving the outcast, you know, the outcast from my my sense of love and belonging, that's one way this archetype plays out. It plays out at a much deeper level within, you know, and, and of course there's this connection between inside and outside, you know, anything that I can't accept in me, then I can't accept in, in somebody on the outside, you know, this sort of thing. So within us, we could say also there are parts of us that are connected to the sense of love and belonging, and then there are parts of us that have been othered, parts of us that do not feel connected to love and belonging, you know, often, often places that hold great pain. And the birth of light at the heart of darkness is really about finding the deep love even in the places of pain, even in the places within us that have been most rejected. You know, it is a deep archetypal truth of life that all of us deserve more love, acceptance, and belonging than we could possibly imagine. You know, all of us deserve this kind of love. And the paradox is that often the part of us that feels the most unlovable is actually the most lovable when we actually get to know it and integrate it, you know. It's this very strange paradox. I often say in the work of self-love, we need to love the places that feel unlovable accept the places that feel unacceptable and forgive the places that feel unforgivable. And really the the power of this, you know, birth of light at the heart of darkness is when we can bring that kind of light of love and belonging into our own internal darkness, into the places that don't belong. Um... You know, I often talk about how internal pain tends to tell these lies that, you know, and these are the, the typical, you know, stuff of inner critic, you know, you, you don't belong, you're not good enough, you know, all these kinds of stories. Um, and those are lies. They're not the truth of who we are. The truth of who we are is that every part of us is made by love, made of love and is made for love. And the work of self-love is, is a long work. It's a, one has to be very patient. There's, there's no shortcut. There's no, you know, magic pill or anything like that. You know, it is a work of every day continuing to love oneself, accept oneself, forgive oneself, you know, extend the utmost of grace and tenderness toward oneself.
Um, and the truth is, the more we bring self-love, the more we can cultivate our own self-love, the more we bring a sense of love to others, you know. A few times I've had the, the, the privilege of being in the presence of people, often energy healers, who just have done tremendous work on self-love. And just to be in their presence, it, it's like their very energy sends out this, this vibe of acceptance. Like, without them even saying a word, I feel more deeply accepted than I've ever felt before. That kind of thing, you know. And every one of us can cultivate self-love to that level that we walk through the world giving others that vibe, you know. And that truly would be the birth of light at the heart of darkness. So at this point, I'm going to share the quote sheet. So I just put a link in the chat for the quote sheet. The top of the quote sheet, I have the the quote from the Gospel of Matthew that I read earlier, also a quote from the Tao Te Ching. The sage is always good at saving people, and therefore no one is abandoned. Always good at saving things, and therefore nothing is wasted. This is called following the guidance of the inner light. Hence, good people are teachers of the bad people, while the bad people are at the charge of the good people. Not to revere one's teachers, not to cherish one's charge, is to be on the wrong road, however intelligent one might be. This is an essential tenet of the Tao. From Ali ibn Abi Talib, who was a, a, a friend and a cousin of the Prophet. He who has a thousand friends has not one friend to spare. And he who has one enemy will meet him everywhere. Very wise. The Japanese sword master Yamaoka Teshu said, In the end, our way of the sword is to be fearless when confronting our inner enemies and our outer enemies. Jaran Singh said, We should be empathetic toward our enemies. Even in their miseries, there should be tears in our eyes. Joseph Campbell said, It is by going down into the abyss that we recover the treasure of life. Where you stumble, there lies your treasure. The very cave you are afraid to enter turns out to be the source of what you are looking for. The damn thing in the cave was so dreaded has become the center. And you find the jewel and it draws you off. In loving the spiritual, you cannot despise the earthly. The purpose of the journey is compassion. When you have come past the pairs of opposites, you have reached compassion. The goal is to bring the jewel back into the world, to join the two things together. And then there are a number of quotes from the Jungian psychologist Marion Woodman from her amazing book, The Dark Goddess. She said, In analysis, this process towards self-responsibility is the key factor of any growth or transformation is to take place. Until we recognize and accept that the change is up to us, we are stuck in an infantile judge-and-blame game. 
She also said, the truth is most of us are where we are partly through overwhelming circumstance that have landed us here, and partly because this is where we want to be. 75% one way, 65% the other way. If we see the opposites in ourselves, we are less likely to judge and blame others. She also said, suddenly feeling vulnerable without all the patterns of defense is cause for panic. Walls not only keep others out, but keep us in. Yet we can afford to tear down those walls only if we're willing to surrender to a sense of connectedness deep within ourselves. There is a way in which we create our own reality. Our inner dynamics are played out in the people and situations that constellate around us. When we come to a place of openness and connectedness within ourselves, reality without becomes more open and connected. Trust begins to emerge. Trust in ourselves and trust in the universe. This is not naivete, but an undefensive posture toward life. It is surrendering to the journey that is uniquely ours. She also said, the feminine leads us to the sharp edge of experience. There we have to feel our feelings in our body. There our secrets become visible in the darkened, unvisited corners of our psyche. Claiming the unswept corners of our psyche leads us to compassion for ourselves and others. Knowing that we have done our best and it simply wasn't enough opens our hearts to others, human beings, whose best likewise has failed. The mind has its logic. The heart alone can know wisdom, bridge chasms, and make peace. She also said, to rise to this new consciousness is to experience the unknowable and the opposites working together without ceasing to be opposites. Differing worldviews, once thought irreconcilable, are now in collision as they confront one another in the global village, bent, it seems, upon destroying each other. In the new paradigm, however, they are not seen to be in conflict, though seemingly opposed. They serve as counterpoint to one another. The opposites are complementary, not contradictory. They are partners in the dance of life, partners, that is, in the ongoing interplay of the observer and the observed. The world of opposites is a world of relativity, a world in which the observer creates his or her own reality and engages with the reality created by others, a world in which all things are possible and all things coexist. Learning to live the paradigm of the opposites is our present-day challenge, our modern mystery. And finally, she said, often we learn wisdom by way of disillusionment with ourselves as well as with others. The Dalai Lama said, I'm trying to promote the value of compassion, not just based on attachment to those who are close to you, but rather for all beings, irrespective of what that person does to you or whether they are your enemy or not. The Zen teacher Sylvia Borstein said, Mindfulness is the awareness, the aware, balanced acceptance of present experiences. It's not more complicated than, than that. It's opening to or receiving the present moment, pleasant or unpleasant, just as it is, without either clinging to it or rejecting it. Chayam Trungpa said, real fearlessness is the product of, a, of tenderness. It comes from letting the world tickle your heart, your raw and beautiful heart. 
You're willing to open up without resistance or shyness and face the world. You're willing to share your heart with others. Robert Thurman said, The last thing most of us want to hear is that we might have any responsibility for creating our enemies. But if we were ever to get rid of our enemies, or at least render them powerless over us, we will have to own up to our part in creating the enmity. He also said, when it comes down to it, the outer enemy is a distraction. Focusing on someone who seems to have it in for us can allow us to ignore the real enemy, the enemy within. But when we can see the enemy's hatred as a challenge, it becomes a spur to our own growth, a gift to wake us from our complacency. Marion Williamson said, In the century now dawning, spirituality, visionary consciousness, and the ability to mend human relationships will be more important for the faith and safety of this nation than our capacity to forcefully subdue an enemy. Creating a world we want is a much more subtle and more powerful mode of operation than destroying the one we don't want. Ama, the hugging saint, said, God-realization is nothing but the ability and expansiveness of the heart to love everything equally. She also said, learn to be thankful for everyone, to the entire creation, even to your enemy, and also to those who insult, because they all help you grow. Tara Brock said, vengeance is a lazy form of grief. It is a lazy form of fear, of shame. Vengeance becomes our false refuge because it is easier to blame and push another out of our heart than to feel our own heart hurt, loss, and powerlessness. She also said, we can decide to love life. We can consciously intend to love without holding back. Although we will continue to shut down, we can always start with exactly what is present and bring kindness to our resistance. We can say yes to our no. As we intentionally deepen our yes, we discover an unconditional acceptance, an open, open, allowing acceptance that frees us. We are not dependent on life being a certain way. The openness of our presence itself gives rise to deep contentment. Adi Ashanti said, your life, all of your life, is your path to awakening. By resisting or not dealing with its challenges, you stay asleep to reality. Pay attention to what life is trying to reveal to you. Say yes to its fierce, ruthless, and loving grace. And finally, Kamal Ravikant said, Suffering is when we resist the moment.